The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. Here we are again, another week down for the books. This is week 34, and I I think we're up over 4,000 downloads, which I'm really excited about because that means that 4,000 people are hopefully getting some help and Mm -hmm. some support and reaching out whether it's to Narcanon Suncoast, which obviously we think would be the best thing to do, or whether it's to a Narcanon in their area. We could just start again in a minute. <laughs> we'll just start it again in a minute. Why can't, why can't the uh, audience know about Kobe? Well, <laughs> Maybe they should just know about Kobe, they, know he exists in the background. Okay, okay. He is, he is a person that exists. I, I think dogs are people. He is a person that exists in this house where we record. Maybe that could be his introduction. So if we have any other further interruptions by Mr. Kobe, we can. Uh, it's a really good idea because I think it was the last one we did. And um, yeah, he's barking in the background somewhere. Okay, fine. So we won't start again. That was my dog, Kobe, because someone rang the doorbell. There you go. Perfect. Yes, I have a dog. We record in my back bedroom. <laughs> you have a dog. I have two cats. My cats don't bark, but they're loud. They're big enough that they could do so. Well, and we were podcasting one time on Skype, and I think you were at home, and they were doing something weird. There were some weird noises in the background. Hey, and I, I did get rid of some of them, I think. But I was like, <laughs> what are your cats doing? Well, one of, my like, cat, one of my cats is 40 pounds. And oh, my he's God. dog size. And the other cat is much smaller. And when they fight, it's really not – cats are terrible when, when they play with each other. It looks like they're fighting. And yes. They, they fight very unfairly. Yes. And so – Oftentimes, about six in the morning, I hear these outrageous shrieks coming from down the hallway when they're messing with each other. And so I'm sure they popped up on a podcast back in the day because they are rambunctious, large animals. Okay, so you have a 40-pound cat. 40-pound cat. Kobe is 21 pounds. I just want to say that. So my dog is 21 pounds and Jason's cat is 40 pounds. I have to give him him dog flea and tick medicine. Okay. Dog size. It's it's insanity. And it's it's a breed of cat called a Maine Coon. Okay. And they're large. Okay. So, but like you were saying before our interruption, <laughs> before our interruption, <laughs> is that for over 4,000 downloads. Yep. Awesome. We, yep. We're reaching people. That's right. I think that's what's important is that we know we're reaching people. Exactly. And like I was saying, even if even if they don't reach for Narcan on Suncoast specifically, which which is where you work and, and we know because we've been there that it's a fabulous program, but there are other Narcanons throughout the world. And the whole point really is to get help. Period. For the addict, you know, I mean, just we said we said it last week, and I remember that um, you were talking that there were some people who were scheduled to actually come mm-hmm. to on Suncoast, and they put it off until after Thanksgiving. And guess what happened? They didn't. They didn't come. No. And what happens is they put it off before the holidays. Then the family does this weird thing where they just. I don't know if it's a family does a weird thing or the addict just does a really good job manipulating the situation, but they get really reasonable about everything. Right. And basically that means the addict somehow made outpatient sound okay or just going to counseling sound okay or no, 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 I I got it together. It's fine. I'm done. And then it never works because those same people will call us before Christmas with the the same same problem and then Christmas will come and then they'll wait again. And then it'll be after the holidays that we might get them in. The sad part is, is families need to realize no matter 
like when you confront your loved one about treatment, it doesn't matter what time of the year it is, you should get them in. Right. And the longer you wait, the more time you give the opportunity for overdoses to happen. You get overdoses resulting in death. That that gets allowed to happen. Yep. And you just get furthering of the family drama, the discord, the discontent, and all those nasty things that go along with addiction. That you just get allowed to continue instead of just saying, yeah, you should go to treatment. We found a place. You're going. Don't care that it's Thanksgiving. Don't care that it's New Year's. Don't care that it's Christmas. You need to go. Because families they really need to realize when you look at and read and hear news stories of kids overdosing or grown people overdosing and thinking yeah that'll never happen to my kid it's that's completely wrong because it could be your kid because those people you hear about were somebody's kid right that also said it'll never be my kid it'll never be my husband it'll never be my wife or my son or daughter that was somebody's that's right and here's the thing okay so you're a parent and you know that your kid is an addict okay and so you realize you got to get help for your kid right okay so if you say Okay, but we're going to wait four days until after Christmas. You are basically saying, it's okay with me that for the next four days, my child gets high. Right. Because that's what you're doing. In your house. So how how is that, how does that work for you? If you're a parent, and I'm speaking to the parents out there, if you're a parent and you have a kid or a loved one or whoever that is addicted and you say, okay, we know we need to get you treatment, but we're going to put it off until after the holidays. If you say that now, and you're thinking about January 2nd, that's like more than a month. Way more than a month. That you're saying, okay, it's okay to get high. It's okay for you to get high. It's okay for you to, you know, increase whatever it is you're doing. It's okay for you to take the risk of overdosing every single day. And if you die, okay. And how could a parent say that? I mean, that would just be like, you you know it's like it's like it's like it's really no different than you get told you know your kid has cancer Mm -hmm. there is a cure okay but we're gonna wait till after christmas we're gonna wait till it gets real bad that's the that's the truth of the matter really your kid has it your kid there's something wrong with your kid we have a solution. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, but I'm just going to wait for a while before we implement that solution. That's insanity. And some also the thing that it communicates is that the holidays are more important than your sobriety or your possible sobriety. Right. Because looking good in front of the rest of the family, looking good in front of all the friends whose kids are doing well is more important than you being gone and me having to explain it. And guess what? You don't look good anyway. I mean, it's like people aren't stupid. They're I mean, going to look at your kid and go, what the hell is wrong with him? I mean, how you good know? does it look when you're at a family <laughs> gathering and your loved one comes stumbling out of the bathroom? Right. <laughs> and telling everybody, you know what I really think about you? Yeah. And it just turns really bad. Yeah. And the other thing is, and that's kind of like a lighthearted look at someone being drunk at a holiday party right. that makes it look really bad. But the other thing is, is that you have to think about what happens when you have a family gathering and you waited, right? You waited, grandma's there, the uncles, the aunts, the cousins, the the mom, the dad, the sisters, everyone's there. Everyone's really happy. But where's where's the one that's addicted? Oh, he's, he's in not, the bathroom in, getting high. Or he's in the bathroom dead. Oh, yeah. Or he's in the bathroom getting high and he comes back and nods out and falls asleep in the mashed potatoes. Or he um he steals the presents. I've heard that. I've heard addicts stealing the family's Christmas gifts, pawning them to get high, only to have the family to come downstairs with the all-American, let's sit downstairs in our pajamas and have a fire going and open presents, and there are no presents. Wow. Yeah. And that's not unheard of. That happens. I believe that's it. That's an actual... That's a, people think that doesn't happen. It's literally like the, how the Grinch stole Christmas. It is like that 
happens. And so it's like, is all of that really worth waiting? Because honestly, who cares? When I went to rehab, there were select people that knew about it. Family, friends. It wasn't like this big secret. It's not like my mom went and broadcasted it, but it was known. Yeah, Jason has a problem. He's getting help. That's admirable. Exactly. That's an admirable thing to do. You know what they said? We're glad. Yeah, because they know. Yeah. We're glad he's there. Yeah. Good for him. Hopefully he gets a handle on it. I I did that six years in a row. (laughs) Um, But uh, the seventh year, everything kind of finally fell into place. Actually, no, it's probably the fifth year. Some some years I doubled up. Um, And everything got put in place. But like, imagine if my parents had that kind of like, consideration before sending me to treatment i could have been dead because leave me to my own devices back then i'm gonna get as high as possible for as long as possible and if i run out of money and drugs i'm gonna take something that's honesty exactly and so i hate that and that's another that's another end product if you will you know could be could be overdosing could be dying could be in jail i I was gonna say that that could be in jail what better call to get Christmas morning while everyone's opening presents and everyone thinks you're upstairs asleep and you're really rotting away in a jail cell going through withdrawals on a cold cement floor. Yeah. No one wants that. I gave my parents that call in the middle of the summer. Yeah. And it's bad enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you never never left, so, you know, Christmas morning. I mean, it's... it's, it's <laughs> you were Jewish, so you didn't do Christmas yeah, morning anyway. It, it was terrible. Yeah. Uh, it was just real bad. And do you, so... When, I'm curious about something. When you go back um, down to South Florida where uh-huh. your parents are and you sell, see relatives and stuff that, that knew, you know, you had an addiction problem, do they talk to you about it? Do they ignore it? Do they ask you about it? Some do. I mean... Some do. Like, my parents' close friends know. Okay. Obviously, my family knows. Right. Mostly what I hear is, hey, you look great. It's, like, amazing how you just, like, landed on your feet and got your your proverbial you-know-what together. Yep. Um, we don't really sit there and talk about it. I had one family member that... <laughs> this is so dumb. I had one family member, kind of extended family, that got real drunk and stoned at a holiday gathering years ago and decided to, like talk crap to me about it but that was like the only time that ever happened oh. <laughs> but and i was like oh really you're gonna and tell, you're, you're gonna d- tell me drunk this and you're right stoned and we're gonna do this okay oh, good that's like, good that's yeah so dumb uh, the, i'm just not, curious not appropriate but no one really talks to me about it most of the comments i get about it are like you look great i'm glad you're doing well right i mean that's literally that's literally it now here's the thing i i and i wrote a blog about this recently because i thought about it in my head it's the idea of like does a family ever like fully heal from uh, going through addiction with a loved one like do they ever fully heal or do they kind of ever like forgive and forget and i thought about it right and families will never forget what they went through with an with with their addict right and you know to do so would be i don't think it would be intelligent i don't think it'd be smart because you always have to remember where your loved one came from and what their one decision away from going to again for my parents for instance my parents know my life is is my life is awesome. Let me just say my yeah. life is pretty awesome. <laughs> and they know that I'm doing well, but they also will never forget, you know, those sleepless nights that, you know, your heart palp- palpitating in their chest, well, their heart's palpitating in their chest. Every time an ambulance went by or every time the phone rang, um, you know, they'll never forget the family gatherings I ruined or the holidays I ruined or the different things that got skewed by my addiction. Right. They'll never forget that. Right. And I don't think a family should ever forget that because families go through a lot. Like addicts go through a lot. 
mm-hmm. in their addiction. You know, addicts will will never forget certain things either. Like addicts will never forget being robbed, being beaten up, being held at gunpoint. You know, all those things that that do happen. Right. I mean, that's not just movie stuff. That actually happens. That happened to me. Those are things I'll never forget. And that stuff was like 15 years ago. And I can still recall that stuff. But families will forgive mm-hmm. their loved one. And that's the, that's the really awesome thing about family. Family, as much as an addict can beat and batter their family, as much as they can cause awful memories, horrible situations, nights of sleeplessness and anxiety, ruined holidays, ruined birthdays, you know, missing funerals, you know, like anything you can think of, they'll forgive them because that's what family does. Right. That's what family does. Blood is thicker than water Yep. in those situations. And so um, I, I just kind of thought about it and I said, you know, I'll guarantee you, my parents have not forgotten what I put them through because I think the families go through a little bit more than the addict goes through. Because if you look at it, the addict is on drugs. The addict is numb to unaware, most, of totally what's going unaware, on. Right. totally numb to mostly everything, and they're completely emotionally shut off. So what the addict is remembering are all like the mental images of what they went through that might be distressing, but the families are recalling not only all the mental images of memories and things of what they went through, but they're also recalling all the emotions attached to it Yep, and all the physical sensations attached to it and all that stuff that goes with it because they were fully aware of it and they could perceive that, whereas the addict couldn't. So I always say, you know, I think families go through way more than the addict goes through because it's like, imagine watching your loved one completely self-destruct, completely sabotage their lives, ruin everything, and you're an objective observer looking at them like, what is going... Like, and there's so much attached to that. That's hard to watch. You know, yeah. someone you love struggling like that, it's like... I, I don't even know what I could equate that to. I mean, it's like, well, I've watched a loved one die. Right. I'd be sick and die, well, and there's nothing they can do, and that's awful. And... Well, then that's comparative to it. And I want to make one thing clear because I said this earlier when I was talking about how, you know, you get told your child has cancer and, oh, by the way, here's the cure, but let's put it off for a few weeks. It, I am not saying that addiction is a disease, mm. but I am likening the situation to someone with a life-threatening disease. And yeah. so when I think it's very similar when you have a loved one who has some sort of a life-threatening disease, disease and you can't do anything about it. I mean, you can help them as much as you can, but ultimately you have to watch them suffer and die. And I think that that's the same, a, a similar thing. You yeah. know, but it's interesting that I think from my observation when I have gone to the graduations at Narcanon that it isn't until after the addict or or the student has gone through uh, withdrawal and detox Mm -hmm. and the objective exercises and when they start doing the life skills courses and then they really have kind of have to confront some of the so shall we say unethical things that they did yeah. when they were when they were high mm-hmm. and i i've seen them when they talk to their family how emotional they get yeah. because they do remember then some of yeah. the things that they did and the effect that it created on the family and i think you know i think that's important i think that that has to be there and i don't think that a lot of rehab programs ever get to that point do you know what i mean they don't dig deep enough because the thing about 
other treatment programs is it's very, very, very easy to sit through group therapy and not really say anything right. and to sit in your one-on-one counseling and kind of throw them a bone every now and then, but not really get into anything. And then going to, you know, 12 step meetings, whatever other support group you go to, it's just very easy to take a very passive role in your recovery. But, you know, getting sober is not a passive thing. You have to do a lot of stuff. Right. There's actual action behind what you need to do because, I, I, say, I say this to a lot of people. Narconon is the hardest rehab out there. I and believe the reason that. it's so hard, it's because you can't just passively coast through it and end up on the yeah. other side. It's like you need to do a lot of stuff. There's a lot of like words and action that goes into it. Right. I mean, waking up every day and going and sitting in a sauna, although some people say, well, that sounds like a day at the spa. It's amazing. It's like, no, this yeah. is hard. This is yeah. hard work that yeah, you're, you you're go, going to. You, you go, go do it after having taken heroin as long as some of these you people go, have. And you tell me how it's a walk in the park. Yeah, you go through it. I <laughs> well, mean, the sauna, the sauna yeah. detox is a difficult thing because yeah. you're not only faced with all the physical sensations you're faced with all like the mental manifestations that happen in there. And, you know, people become believers in what we do once they get into sauna and they start experiencing that stuff. And that stuff is difficult because you have to be able to deal with that. Right. And that's what I've seen when I've come to the graduations because a one for one, you know, when people are asked if they would like to share any realizations that they've had, it isn't until um, it's asked of the people who have just finished the sauna program that then you start getting some of these originations of, I got my mind back, right. you know, I got myself back, I got my life back. But the truth of the matter is on what you were saying, you're an active participation in your addiction. You're going to have to be an active participation in your treatment. You can't, and, and nobody can do it for you. So these suboxone or methadone, not going to do it for you. You are just putting a Band-Aid on a gushing artery and mm-hmm. at some point you're gonna have to get like heavy duty surgery on that artery and or go you're gonna bleed some, out or you're gonna bleed out or you're gonna bleed out yeah, and die and it's just you know who knows the, the thing that scares me is that i i can almost guarantee you that we're gonna find out like in another 10 years that long-term use of suboxone leads to some kind of cancer or immune deficient autoimmune disease or whatever because it's a drug and a drug is a poison. And so just because you stop with the illegal poison and now you're taking a legal poison, poison is poison. <laughs> Hello, poison is going to destroy your body. Yeah, I love the legal the legal versus illegal I know. argument on things. Because people are like, well, I do it and it's completely legal. It's like, that doesn't mean it's good for you. Poison is a poison. It doesn't, it's a legal poison. You can buy rat poison. Rat poison is legal because you buy it to kill rats. But guess what? If you take it, it'll kill you. Yeah, alcohol is a legal poison. Oxycontin is a legal poison. So is Dilaudid, morphine, all the other stuff that's abused. Suboxone, methadone. There's prescription methamphetamine. There's a, you can get prescribed meth. Is that diet pills? No, it's a drug called desoxin. What's it? for uh narcolepsy you know narcolepsy is when you spontaneously just fall asleep in the middle of doing whatever you're doing oh and yeah, give you yeah, speed yeah. to keep you awake the, oh, the this is this one i laughed hysterically and then i got real sad after i heard this advertisement um do you do you work odd hours do you work the graveyard shift? You might have shift work disorder. Luckily, there's a medication called Provigil. Ask your doctor if Provigil is right for you. I'm like, what the hell is Provigil? I looked, it's a speed. It's a complete stimulant. Shift work disorder. We have now given a diagnosis. Shift work disorder. <laughs> we gave a diagnosis. There's diag- math disorder. There's shopping disorder. Why not? Compulsive. Sh- there's, on, there's, an on, there's a surfing online disorder. 
too much spending too much time online. There's a disorder for that. Yeah. There's a there's a disorder for every part of life. When did we make being human a disorder? <laughs> That's a really good point. But it is being when the hu- psychiatrists decided to get together and vote on it. Ah, it's so bad. Let's let's you and I vote on a new disorder. How about the podcasting disorder? Podcast. Uh, you can't stop podcasting. You have to do it every week. Otherwise, uh, you can't do. You can't. Uh, you can't go. We through can't your, function. Can't function. Yeah. Okay. Good. I like that. We have it. You and I. Well, now we have to develop a, a medication. <laughs> For it. <laughs> no, no way. Yeah, but if we make a disorder, <laughs> we have to make a medication for it. What's, what good is making a disorder without doing that? Honey, molasses, pecan pie. That That's really the good. cure. That was really good, though. You liked it? I, I like that. Joni made a honey molasses pecan pie for uh, Thanksgiving. It was amazing. Oh, thank you. But yeah. that's the cure. You know, after we left the it on the table, it's gone like five oh. minutes. <laughs> I love it. Gone. Um, it's but, very different than regular pecan thing, pie. But I yeah. Mean, We've we've medicalized every part of life. We've yep. made this some sort of medical condition, yeah. and that's where I, you know, in my in my book, that's where drug addiction breeds from. That's where the idea that you take something we don't feel good breeds from. It's those kinds of mentalities. Yeah. But either way, so you know, families don't ever forget what addiction took from them, right? And they don't ever forget what addiction did to them, but they will forgive. And luckily, my parents forgave me to a degree, but. And I say to a degree because they still remember, you know, I'm one, every addict out there, no matter how clean they've gotten, no matter how, no matter how long they've been clean, is always one real bad decision away from getting high again. And that's a reality, but everybody in the world is one bad decision away from using drugs. That's right. It's not just, it doesn't go for just addicts. No. But it's, it's when you learn to make better positive choices for yourself and learn how to deal with life in a different fashion, the drugs don't become like a thing for you. Like I remember thinking you know in the middle of my addiction oh god it's so bad oh i just i just need to get high and just, but that doesn't go through my mind anymore right oh i just gotta get high it go it, what goes through my mind is i just gotta figure out a way to fix it <laughs> <laughs> or i gotta figure out a way to deal with this and right. it, but drugs never like comes into my mind as like an option it doesn't it doesn't exist in my world the only way drugs exist in my world are like those fun times where i'm doing an intake on someone and they take the last time this happened, someone took a, a can of tobacco out of their pocket and I opened it. It was filled with uh, morphine pills. I was like, oh. um, did you forget these were there? He's like, yeah, I was wondering where I put those. I was oh. like, yeah, well, not, I'm thinking I'm going to take these now, actually. I'm going to destroy them. We have these uh, pouches that you can you open them. You pour whatever drugs you find into it. You put hot water in it, seal it, shake it, and it dissolves everything. Oh, wow. Into like an unusable, biodegradable sludge that is safe to just throw away well that's good to know because i think i told you when the doctor prescribed the narco for my back and i couldn't i couldn't figure out how to get rid of it they say you're not supposed to flush it down the toilet so i got that part so you know what i did is i put them on my i put them on my cutting table and i pounded them up and i put them in some coffee Uh you know coffee grounds that i had i just threw it away the image of you cracking up pills (laughs) on your counter is so bizarre to me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know those um, hammers that are yeah. like, for pounding chicken? The tenderizer. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, because I, I couldn't think of what it. else to do. And I put it in um, some coffee that I didn't like. I'm, a, I'm, I'm very picky about my coffee. And, uh, you know, put it. Uh, I threw it away. 
but I figured nobody knows it's there. It's no. not like I'm a drug dealer, so nobody's ever going to encounter it. I don't think it. anyone's going to separate it'll, coffee and no, drugs. No, it'll, it'll go to the dump, and that'll be the end of that. But I, but I really, I spent like a long time trying to figure out what to do, and someone said, oh, down at the uh, Clearwater Police Department, you can put it in a box. Yep. No, the box was full. It was closed. I couldn't do it. Oh, <laughs> like, well, that's an indicator of something I'm wrong. like, hello. Anyway. Unbelievable. So where do you get these bags? Can you get them online? I, you can get them online. You know, on the next podcast, I'll, I'll bring the website for them. Okay, I, think, I, I don't know how much they cost. I don't think they're very expensive. I think some places you can get them for free. Okay. And it's like, a, I just don't remember the name of it. It's just okay. escaping me. But yeah, it's just a pouch about, you know, a foot long. Okay. And you just dump whatever in there and it dissolves everything. Okay, good. I like that. Yeah, it's not a bad way. We got free samples of it from okay. some distributor and that's how I even know it existed. And we actually use them. It's okay. a great thing because otherwise... You know, we have to send all the drugs down to the nurse's station. And, like, there was at one point where the nurse's station had, like, crack, meth, heroin. There's like, oh, so oh my God. Like, we can't keep this stuff. No, we have to, we have to do something with this. <laughs> um, so speaking of heroin, okay, I, I, I want to bring this up. When it comes to heroin, you know, these news stories have been out there about police officers and other emergency responders getting fentanyl on their skin and needing Narcan and overdosing. Because they got the drug on their skin, and these stories suggest that you know fentanyl is so strong that just getting it or some or analogs of fentanyl are so strong, just getting it on your skin will cause people to overdose. And there was this story of a of a. I cop- read, I heard that. I'm sorry to cut yeah, to no, cut you fine. cut in, but I heard that, and I remember it being very very scary. Like, oh yeah. my goodness, you know, I can touch this drug and I can overdose. Right. Anyway. Yeah. No. A lot of people got really nervous who were first responders and police, paramedics, and firefighters because there was a story. I think it was in Ohio. This cop had done a traffic stop. There's this white powder all over the car. Uh, the the cop had some on his uniform. He wiped it off and overdosed. Okay. And he was rushed to the hospital. Was given Narcan and simultaneous to that the symptoms lifted there was a, and there's been a couple of stories like that in the news that people are getting the drug on their skin and overdosing okay and i kind of looked at it like this i think that's impossible it doesn't I, I, sound like I, it's possible it, it, well it, so these stories suggest they'll go right through your skin into your blood and then you get an opioid toxicity and you overdose and so what happened was all these first responder personnel got really freaked out because they thought there was this like brand new really scary hazard to their job that yeah. just getting on your skin is going to kill you okay when that first came out i thought okay everyone needs to calm down because not every addict out there that uses fentanyl dies and every fentanyl tu- every addict touches fentanyl right they're using it you're gonna touch it. it's gonna get in your nose it's gonna get in your veins it's gonna get on you and and not all of them die and i thought that's just really weird i don't think that just getting it on your skin is going to cause you to overdose. And then a story came out um, that debunked the whole like getting it on your skin overdosing thing. And I was like, Good. thank God. Yeah. I, thought, I thought I was crazy. Um, it's, it's, it's scientifically impossible to get fentanyl or heroin on your skin and for you to overdose. It's not, it's not possible because you're not going to absorb a powder – through your skin fast enough and in a high enough quantity to cause a toxicity because you have to get a decent amount into your bloodstream in a relatively short period of time to overdose. Well, that's not going to happen transdermally. I don't know. Cause here's the thing too, that you made me think of is, you know, there was a sauna detox program that was established up in New York city and right. it was established for the rescue workers that worked at nine 11. Sure. Because when the twin towers came down Everything in the building was pulverized to the point of a particle that actually could 
be breathed and could come in somewhat through the skin. Sure. But they didn't die. And I mean, granted, these weren't drugs necessarily, but you're talking about fiberglass and plastic and everything else. And it took months for any symptoms to even right. develop. Mm-hmm. And then the sauna detox helped these men, yeah. you know, men and women get it out of their systems. It but did. all I'm saying is that that knowing that whole procedure and what they went through and how it happened and how it had to be days and days and days and days and days of exposure. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like, oh, they touched something, now they got really, scared. really sick and had to go in the sauna. No, right. it was after weeks and weeks or how, right. however long they worked at ground zero. And then, you know, after months, they developed physical difficulties. And then they, right. you know, they they were able to handle it with the sauna detox. So that makes total sense. Talk yeah, about a fake but, but, news but story. What they said with that, with this that is st- fake news. It's fake kind news. of fake news. It is you know, fake news. And <laughs> what the story said was, like, it makes more sense that the drug was breathed in by these medical personnel or it was somehow got into their mouth or yeah. something like that. And that makes sense because fentanyl can go right through the mucous membranes of the mouth of the nose and get totally absorbed. And that I get. Right. But what they started doing was- To these, just put it like here and- On no. your, like yeah. your hand right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden you're going to die. Yeah. They made nope. that drug sound- Okay, fentanyl is definitely scary, but they made it sound like this is something that like people could lace into like envelopes and kill you. I mean, like- it freaked me out and it freaked out all these people that work in the field responding to overdose emergencies yeah. or people that come in contact with addicts and they think, oh my God, if they get some of it on me, it's going to kill me. Well, why isn't it going to kill them if it's on them? Thank, you, you ever think about thank that? Thank you to the media. Thank oh, you for geez. once again <laughs> making our environment into such a dangerous place. We're all afraid to leave the house and go anywhere. Oh, it was insane. That's the product of the media, though. But people bought that. I know. I, believe, I started to believe it was like, oh, I guess maybe this is possible. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, come on. I mean, fentanyl is like something that kills you in microgram doses. I mean, that's when, that's really strong stuff. Yeah. Um, But no. No, it's it, it's not possible. You can't you can't do that. And I fi- I felt validated. I was like, because <laughs> I thought that I was like, you can't. It, it's not possible. But thank God they they figured out it is impossible. So, oh, the, the other story was uh, a sixty nine year old mother was cleaning up the bathroom after her son overdosed and she died. Oh, okay. But they said it must have been the fentanyl. Oh, I, they got, she got fentanyl. She must have got fentanyl on her. a kid overdosed, and then she, she's dead. <laughs> so ridiculous. I was like, I was like goodness, that's hold, ridiculous. Hold on a second. <laughs> I think we're jumping to conclusions. Exactly. Um, but that's yeah. People have to be cautious of what well, they I, pay attention to, listen to, and accept to be true. Because to me, none of it made sense. And then I heard the sixteen-year-old woman thing, and then. It, it all kind of like blew off from me. I'm like, yeah, that's that's ridiculous. Um, it, but then people came back and said, well, that cop in Ohio, he was given Narcan, he came back. Well, and they said, well, it was they're treating the wrong illness. Yeah, they're treating the wrong condition. Whatever other treatments he got alongside with Narcan could have popped them out of it too. We just y'all are just hearing he was given Narcan and he came out of it, so it must have been. Been an overdose. Omitted data. Yeah, I mean, big just, time omitted data. Yeah, like with the woman, she was about a heart attack. I mean, if I, you know, if I were cleaning up the bathroom after my son had overdosed, something bad might happen to me because that would yeah. be a pretty heavy duty situation to sure, be in. You might have just you're, might die of a broken heart. Exactly. And I, and I say that seriously. No, I know. No, I say that seriously. People do that. Um. Yeah, and they said, "Well, toxicology results aren't back." I said, yeah. "She's not. She didn't overdose, right? Unless I she was promise. taking it along I, with her son, right? Unless she was getting high with her son, which then yeah. you never, you know. Could unfortunately, have been. I have helped addicts 
who the first person they got high with was a parent. I know. You told me that. I smoked weed with my family when I was 14. I got drunk with my parents when I was 15. Right. And then, you know, my uncle was a dope addict and he shot me up my first time. I've heard stories like yeah. that. That's not on, that's not as uncommon as you think because most parents have this like drive to protect their children. Right. And protect them from the world around them and protect them from making bad choices and doing drugs is one of them. Right. And some families have a little bit lower of an ethical standard. Right. And they people actually get high with their kids. And I swear I've heard this. Well, I'd rather them do it with me. I know they're safe. Yeah. Uh, what? what? I just slapped my forehead here. You can't hear that. <laughs> yeah, That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. That's insane. But A, my mom had the similar mentality when I was in high school. Yep. She said, I'd rather, I know you're going to drink. You can drink at the house with your friends. You just, yep. No one can leave. I'd rather you do it where I know you're safe. Right. That's That wasn't necessarily a bad idea, but that's somewhere sort of where that mentality goes. It's like, you're going to do it anyway, so I want you to be safe. How? No. Yeah. No, no, no. no. I kind of <laughs> never went there with my kids. I was like, no, you're not going to do it because it's illegal to do it. And it was tough because... You know, I I drank before I was legal. My husband did, you know. So it's I like absolutely, it, it was a little hard to do that. But we just said, hey, it's against the law. Don't do it. You know, you can't do it. I'm not going to sanction it. I'm not going to approve it. I'm not going to allow it. It is against the law. Yeah, but you know? all the parents back then were making similar decisions, and it's like y'all put your keys in a bowl. We take it in upstairs, lock it up. No one can leave until the morning where everyone's sober. Right. I, and I get that. They'd rather us do that than driving around somewhere drunk. I do okay. too. I get the logic behind it. Yeah. I totally do. Um, but the fact of the matter is everyone in life is solely responsible for whatever situation yep. they get themselves into, whatever condition their life ends up in. They're the ones ultimately responsible for that. And that's something that people don't realize. You know, a lot of people out there like to take, and I did this too. I took a victim viewpoint on life. Everything happens to me. Right. I'm just an innocent, you know, victim and bystander in all these horrible situations that keep happening to me. And so one day I realized I'm the one creating all this. <laughs> <laughs> to some degree, this is all my doing. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so... I think every, I want to leave everyone with that and let everyone realize that no, and this is, this goes for people that aren't addicts too. This goes for anybody who lives and breathes and exists on this planet. No matter if you look around the room you're sitting in right now and there's something you don't like about what you see, or when you look in the mirror and there's something you don't like about what you see, or you feel like your life isn't where it needs to be, or you feel like something is missing or something is wrong, the only person responsible for that is you. That's right. That's exactly right. And I'll tell you right now, for anybody listening, that's a tough pill to swallow, and you will have to swallow it if you come to Narconon. But I also guarantee that when you swallow it and when you've come through the Narconon program, you will be a different person in a very good way. And you will know that you are responsible and you'll know how to take responsibility for your life and your loved ones and your family and your husband, wife, children, what have you. You'll get that. But it's not easy. At all. <laughs> But that's fine. We're going to keep talking about it and people are going to keep doing it. And 
we'll get some interviews lined up. And in the yes. meantime, you're, you're stuck with Jason and I, and we like talking anyway, so we're glad you like listening. <laughs> yeah, very good. So we'll see you next week. Yes. And uh, we'll be back. Absolutely. I'll see you then. Okay. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 